This is American Real, where we aim to inspire, empower, and enlighten you through the stories of our guests. Here's your host, Roger Brooks. Talking a little bit before we started recording, we are right in the midst now of this coronavirus, and it's mm. we just don't know. There's a lot of uncertainty. How are you feeling? What are you thinking about all this? I know you're a speaker. Everything's being yeah. halted. This uh, this month for me um, was supposed to be like my biggest march. I had a um, TEDx talk, countless events, a lot of book things, and so now I'm just kind of like watching. I'm trying to not react but to respond especially when it comes to like business and all these different people having various projects halt on you know pause and i'm just trying to sort of get a bigger understanding of what's going on and then what might happen during like these next three months This is American Real. I am Roger Brooks. My guest today is Mark Metry, author of Screw Being Shy. You have a top uh, 100 global podcast, Humans 2.0. You're also part of the Amazon Prime's documentary series, The Social Movement. You're a keynote speaker, and you're an all-around great guy. Mark, welcome to the show. Roger, thank you so much for having me on American Real. Can't wait. Appreciate it. And you're a pro with this, so you're making my job easy today, which I love. And um, what's it like to be on the other side of the mic? You know, I'm I'm very grateful for the fact that I've been a, uh, especially now that I'm on like this big um, media run for my podcast. I've been on maybe about like 200 podcasts now, and so I mean, I always like doing it. I don't like talking too much, but I think the biggest thing is that. I think the fact that I'm a podcast host and I go on podcasts, I think the biggest thing that's enabled me to teach is what people are looking for in a podcast, because I think it's very easy to like have a conversation with you and your buddy. But then when people listen to that, whether it's one month, three months, three, six months is from now, is that still relevant? You know, are they missing some context? And so I think because of the fact that I've been on both sides of the mic, it's enabled me to have a communication style that people can understand. So I hope so. <laughs> Love it. And look, we were talking a little bit before we started recording. We are right in the midst now of this coronavirus. And it's, mm. we just don't know. There's a lot of uncertainty. We're talking about you know, online courses becoming really popular. All the schools are moving to online platforms. So in this moment, just so yeah. we could refer to what you just said a moment ago, looking three, six months down the road, how are you feeling? What are you thinking about all this? I know you're a speaker. Everything's being yeah. halted. Yeah, man. So I've, yeah. So this, uh, this month for me in March, um, was supposed to be like my biggest March. I had a, um, TEDx talk, countless events, a lot of book things, and, um, you know, of course, all those things are, are canceled now or postponed. Um, you know, for sure, I got a little bit upset, but it's also, it's not like a serious problem. Like, I don't have relatives in Italy or in China that are infected and are facing some issue. And so I'm extremely grateful for the fact that nobody I know is sick and everyone I know is, is healthy for the most part. And so I think sort of like nobody kind of saw this coming. And I think the world's tension and stress is at like an all-time high, especially how it's impacting the business world, the economy, uh, various implications when it comes to just travel and just living our lives. But I think ultimately it's for a good reason. You know, I would rather have the world go on lockdown for like a month, uh, hopefully a month, then like, you know, let's say we don't even know what Corona is. And let's say it ends up being something that's really is devastating, like at a, you know, and like the millions range and like the Spanish flu, if we don't contain it. And so I think everyone's just taking like super extra precautions now because we would rather put things on pause, like for like a month or two months or three months, rather than have like a million people die, which nobody really knows yet. And I think that's the biggest issue. So I think there's a lot of just sort of general heightened anxiety in the world. But honestly, man, um, you know, I, you know, like, I don't mean to say this to, um, 
to like undermine anyone. Again, I hope everyone out there is safe and happy and healthy, but I honestly feel like I haven't been this happy for a long time. And for me, like I grew up my entire life, almost like just losing my entire life. And so now that I'm in this month where I was supposed to have some level of success and now a lot of these things have not happened, it's kind of like getting me in that same mentality that I think I'm just more comfortable in because it's been sort of my default mode. And so now I'm just kind of like watching, I'm trying to not react, but to respond, especially when it comes to like business and all these different people having various projects halt on, you know, pause. And I'm just trying to sort of get a bigger understanding of what's going on and then what might happen during like these next three months, because I don't think anyone really knows. So it's interesting. How about you? Yeah, no, and I'm so, I'm, I'm so glad you shared that with me because um, it, it just hearing you talk, I feel similar, you know, I'm, I'm in a similar mode right now. This I'm, I'm probably the happiest I've ever been in my life for a lot of different reasons, but it's, you know, a lot of it has to do with just having these type of conversations. And I, mm. and I know the future is bright, not only for me, but I'm for, for people that I'm connected with people like yourself, mm. my family, my extended family. So, but I wanted to ask you just as a follow-up question, yeah. Don't you feel now that you're in this mode when it does, when, when we do come out of this, that you'll be able to quickly get back to where you are at this very moment? Oh, dude, I think I'll, it'll be way better. You know, I think like just the kind of mo- the mode that I'm in is like, um, you know, not, not like literally hibernation, but at least, at least sometimes, I mean, tomorrow I'm traveling, so I don't know what'll happen, but I think now is just a good time you know, I was supposed to do a TEDx talk, um, a ton of a, a book events and whatnot. So I think I'll just emerge way better, way greater than ever before. And it'll just really be like, um, it's just, right now it's just a training session, you know? So I'm, I'm for sure going to emerge. And I think we're all going to emerge much stronger and better. And I think, I think you know, events in, in history and in the world that can be chaotic, I think they can be... Um, great sparks for change for a lot of people. Like, again, I don't, um, I don't know if this is exactly coincidental and I don't really want to talk about politics, but I remember in November of 2016, um, when there was a new president, I remember I was like, Hmm, the world has definitely changed. You know, it's definitely a different kind of world. And so I think a lot of, um, these events that happen wherever you are in the world, I think it's definitely making people ask bigger questions around their health around their security, around what they're going to do when it comes to plan B. Because like, like we were talking before, like I didn't even realize this was going to be a thing a week ago, two weeks ago, you know? So it's crazy. It is crazy. It is crazy. And it's, we just don't know. We just don't know. But I, I love your outlook and the whole reason I do this show and, and, you know, I'm sure similar reasons for you doing your podcast is to inspire, empower, enlighten those on the other end. So people that are listening to this and that do have maybe more fear. Um, you know, what do you say to those folks that don't have the same, you know, outlook as you do right now of that really positive mindset? Yeah. So, you know, I don't, you know, I wasn't born with a, with a positive mindset by, by any means, you know, four or five years ago, I was uh, obese. I had extreme social anxiety, was socially isolating myself was depressed and was suicidal. And so for me, that was, uh, that was my life. And so I would have definitely been in this, in the same boat. I probably would have been freaking out, um, right now. But honestly, I, th- I think the biggest thing is that like, as I have interviewed like hundreds and hundreds of people, um, on my podcast, as I have like much smarter friends with me, that are like, uh, you know, much better entrepreneurs or they're in like neuroscience or they're like the top doctors in the world. I've really understood the importance of um, taking care of my mental health. That's probably been the number one. And, you know, for me, like I, I was successful financially when I was like 15, 16. And yet that is really where the decline of my mental health really began. And a lot of us really, we associate, we have like these loose definitions of success 
of like, yeah, like the American dream of like, I'm going to make money and then I'll buy a house and then I'll get married and then my problems will go away. And then I think the moment when you kind of realize that, again, for sure, money is important. Absolutely. And I mean, they've actually done studies that show, you know, if you, if you just have enough money to like barely make your bills, your IQ is like 10 points lower because you're in that constant stress. But despite that, what I've learned is like, if you have, like I've, I've had um, an almost billionaire on my podcast come and tell me that he had like $760 million in the bank account and yet he was going to kill himself. And so it's like, when you look at that and you look, it's like, I would much rather focus on my mental health now, whatever age I am in, rather than get to a point where like I personally lived it when I was younger of your mind being your own worst enemy. And so if you have that, it's like, whether it's Corona or whether it's something else that happens, you're always going to view those as like the, the major problems when in reality, the real sort of source, the real sort of constant that's always there is your brain is yourself. And so for me, I've, I've sort of become, um, not well known, but, but known for at least like on LinkedIn and on podcasts about talking about mental health. Like I've had the co-founder of my show. I mean, the co-founder of Netflix talk about mental health on my show and, and various people, because like, as we are eliminating a lot of problems in the world, there is still that problem of like, you know, you can see somebody's broken leg. You can see somebody who has a heart problem and they go to a heart doctor, but almost nobody can see someone's broken brain. And there are varying sort of effects because of that. And so I think the, one of the most important things to do is like, just learn more about mental health, learn more about the science, the neuroscience, learn more about stress, about how our brains actually work. And I think that will sort of illuminate you to actually realize like, what fear really is and how you can sort of get on the better side of it. Because I wasn't born this way. Like I really had to work every single day, every single moment to get the mindset and to get my beliefs and my psychology and my physiology. And I've made it, you know, into my career and I've, and I've wrote this book on it. And, you know, even though it's, you know, the book is kind of more, um, more focused on social anxiety and, uh, and that it's also very much applicable for anyone who just wants to generally work on their mental health by understanding like the root cause, understanding the science, and then how to actually take action and be practical about it. So, you know, that's what I would say to people. I've had the opportunity to interview not as many people as you, but uh, over a hundred people and, and several of them, we, we talked about the importance of mental health. As a matter of fact, my first guest ever on the show, good friend of mine, Anthony Bernelli, who's a world-renowned artist, and he had a hockey injury. Um, and, and that hockey injury took over his life to the point where he did not want to be here any longer. So there's all forms, you know, all different kinds of mental health and, and, and injuries and, and just, you know, the way we grew up or whatever it may be. So, but you're right, it's, it's about educating ourselves, right? And, and, and learning and studying and, and talking and listening to these podcasts and getting information from the professionals where we could really help yeah. ourselves and not have to rely on the, on the medication all the time either. I mean, dude, I'll tell you a thing about that. Right. So, um, when I was kind of like in this journey myself and when I was doing like a ton of research on this book and, and speaking to, um, a lot of other like doctors and neuroscientists, um, you know, a, a primary uh, neurotransmitter that comes up in the mental health community and especially in medication. And then also like in the leadership world too, is serotonin and serotonin, you know, it does a wide range of things in our, in our, in our lives. Um, but, um, but it, I mean, it's, it's linked to our mood, our sleep, uh, how we perform in social groups, um, our desire for like sex appetite does a lot of different things. And so, um, people who struggle with mental health, a lot of the times they might either have some sort of dysfunction with serotonin, whether it is their brain is producing too much or too little. And so the craziest part about this, Roger, was when I was doing the research for this, it was once believed that maybe like 10, 15 years ago, it was once believed that 
serotonin was predominantly in the brain, right? Because it's a neurotransmitter. It turns out that's wrong. And according to the latest science, only five to 15% of serotonin is in our brain. The rest, 90 to 95%, is actually in our gut microbiome, which is this system that I didn't even learn about in school. And it's this vast ecosystem of literally trillions of bacteria that are next to our stomach and intestines that humans have formed a symbiotic relationship with for thousands of years. And so when you eat anything, people don't know this, you, we can actually digest a lot of um, the, like the normal foods that we eat, like plants and whatnot. Our bodies have evolved for our gut microbiomes to process and digest those first and then send it off to our body. And so there have been many chronic illnesses and then also many mental health conditions that have been um, led to believe to have caused by a gut microbiome that is in the opposite of symbiosis, that is in dysbiosis. This can happen for a wide variety of, of reasons. This could happen due to um, mental trauma, uh, psychology trauma, uh, most of it is food. Uh, most of it has to do with um, insulin resistance, uh, eating artificial processed chemicals that disrupt our gut microbiome, disrupt our hormones. And like the craziest part about this man was, um, so there's a section in my book, there's a subsection in my book, it's called first my gut broke and then my brain broke. And I talk about this time when I was 18 in college, where I had always really struggled with anxiety and social anxiety for most of my life, but I had never really been depressed before. And when I went to college and I really began to get into a lot of emotional pain, I began to use food as a coping mechanism. I would, I would binge eat. I didn't get too much into like drugs or alcohol. My real drug of choice was food. And so next thing I know, I'm like over 200 pounds. I've gained like over 65 pounds in a short period of time. And now I'm depressed. I'm seriously depressed. I can't even get out of bed. I'm just sleeping in all day. And then I eventually become suicidal. And that had never happened to me my entire life. And I think back and it's like, that was also the time where I was really, really abusing my body based on what I was putting in my mouth. And then when I was doing the research for this book and I come across serotonin and how actually influential it is and how much it, it regulates our mood. And also like I talk a lot about social anxiety, it regulates how we function in social groups, man, like food is one of the biggest things that someone can start looking at in their, in their life because it, it controls so much. And I remember when I was growing up, I never learned that in school. You know, I was just taught like, Hey, if you eat too much food, you'll gain weight. But I never learned anything about nutrition. I never learned about the fact that, like I talk about the study in my book where they, they do brain scans of people who are addicted to hard drugs, like crack, cocaine, heroin. And they also do brain scans of people who on a very regular basis consume processed foods, junk foods, like that's most of their diet their brains looked identical when it came to brain matter. And so when I look at that, it's like, wow. And there's been countless studies. I'll tell you another one, the last one. They did a study with teenagers and they took one group that was on like the American standard diet, processed food all the time. They took another group that just ate natural, healthy foods, nothing artificial. They showed a 100% impact in suicidal ideation. And so it's like, I'm talking food from a, just a purely mental health perspective, right? But for sure, of course, it also affects your physical health. And so for me, when I kind of learned this, this was like my first gateway into me like re, um, healing my depression and my anxiety that I had just no idea about. And I always just sort of dismissed as like some like gimmick or some fad or some other diet that's like new or some detox from like the health and wellness industry. When in reality... Um, I mean, people have been talking about this for, for thousands of years, like the, um, uh, Hippocrates, the, the father of, uh, of modern medicine. He says, let food be thy medicine and let thy medicine be thy food. And so, I mean, people have been talking about this for thousands of years, but I think especially now because of the fact that 
because of technology and prosperity, we now have so much convenience. We now have foods that have quite frankly never existed before that are made by companies, manufacturers and whatnot. And so that to me is always like a good place that I start off with people because listen, I mean, I've, I have yet to hear a successful person that's come on my podcast that said, yeah, I don't care what I eat. Like it's never happened before. And so I think successful people, like on a broader note, they look at all their inputs. They look at all the things that they do during the day. So it's like, when you break down a human, it's like, we all have to sleep, right? We all have to breathe somehow. We all have to move somehow. We all have to eat and we all have to speak to other people. And like, for me, I kind of view like those five basic functions that make up everything that we do. So I'm going to do those to the best of my ability. And so if I can choose what I put on the other end of my fork, that's going to go into my mouth. That's just a vote. That's a vote for better mental health, for longevity, for prosperity versus the other one, which is uh, lack of energy, even negativity, poor mental health, poor health conditions. And so that's the way that I kind of think about it. And I think it's so important for people to think about that, quite frankly, not a lot of us know just because the, the communication and distribution of that science has yet to be mainstream, but it's slowly happening. That's why this, these conversations are so important. And, and I love your platform and I love everything you stand for because it's part of what I do, right? So the, everything you just said is, is, is directly important to me on a day-to-day basis. And the food thing... That started for me 10 years ago. I was much heavier. Um, you know, I do now some intermittent fasting, but my wife and I, we, we, you know, we're cheerleaders for each other and, and we are really, really careful about what we put in our bodies. It has made a significant change in our life. We, you know, knock on wood, we're very rarely, if ever, sick. You know, so everything you're saying, I did not know, though, uh, everything about the gut. I heard a little bit about that in the past, but not to this extent. So kudos. Thank you so much for educating me and our audience. Um, and now they need to learn more about this. So mm-hmm. I was going to transition maybe into your book. They need to read that chapter, but they should read the whole book. Um, but in addition to that, any resources that you found that might um, be useful for people to start learning more about this? Yeah. So so again, like I just kind of simply, you know, kind of rattled this off, but it's a very, very complex topic. And it's why I say that there is no such thing as a universal healthy diet. So what I mean is this. So you could be eating healthy foods, for example, I don't know, like you could be eating kale, broccoli, and mushrooms, which are all pretty healthy foods. And yet for your specific gut microbiome, those could actually be detrimental and highly inflammable to your body. And so part of my research and someone who I discovered was, um, so the U.S. military actually created this technology. I I blank on the name, but they made this technology to detect, funny enough, I mean, not exactly what's going on in the world today, but they made it to detect... um, potential bioterrorist threats. So if someone or some, or some organization releases some sort of a biochemical attack or agent in a city, and the government now needs to know who exactly is sick and who is not, I have a, a billionaire friend of mine who was in one of these military facilities, and he found this technology. And he was sort of aware of the whole gut microbiome thing and how it relates to other diseases. And he essentially license it out with the U.S. government. And um, his company's called Viome, V-I-O-M-E. Their mission statement is to make chronic illness a choice in the future. And essentially, they're the world's only functional gut microbiome test that if you do it, it's like a, it's a stool sample. It literally tells you, I'm going to pop it up here if I can in a second. It literally tells you what exactly you should be eating and why and what you shouldn't be eating and why. So for example, like one of the things that I found out was um, I shouldn't be eating almonds and I was eating almonds every single day. Well, it turns out for my specific gut microbiome, my body really has a trouble um, uh, metabolizing some of the chemicals that are in almonds. And what happens is my body gets stuck trying to process those. 
And what'll happen is it won't actually digest the other nutrients in my body. And so that's like a super small thing, but it made all the difference, sure. you know? And so uh, like, it tells you so many different things from like your inflammation levels to what's going on in your body to like, again, what you should be eating, what you shouldn't be eating. It tells you, um, specifically what supplements to take. Like there's a lot of people now it's like, Hey, you should take this supplement. You should take that. You should take that. Well, it's like, everyone's body's different. Everyone's body's different. And so this is like one of the few tools out there that is actually, um, extremely worth it. I think it costs like a hundred dollars or like $150. It used to cost $10,000, like five years ago. And so, yeah, this is like a, a groundbreaking piece of technology. I talk about it in the book. Um, and like they're using AI, like the head of, um, the head of IBM's uh, AI department left his job to go work at Viome to come put these things together. And so, yeah, that's one tool that I would highly recommend because again, like I don't believe in such thing as as universal healthy diet. There's all these people that say you got to be on keto. You got to be on plant-based. You got to go on carnivore. You got to go on this. And it's like, it doesn't always work for everyone. It just depends on who they are. And then, and then even in the right time and right place. And so thank you for asking that. Question. Oh, that's great. I, I, you know, I didn't know anything like this existed. I want to take this test. I know my wife will want to take this test. And how long does the process take before they get you results? A couple of weeks? Um, no, it takes a little bit. It takes like a, it takes like a less than a week to get the kit. And then it takes like three, four weeks to get the results okay, back. And then it might be a little bit longer or less depending on like the cues that they have. And it's just like, it's just like the company's really rising up. So um, it might take a little bit of a while, but I'm sure if you go on their website, they'll tell you how long it's taking. Fantastic. Wow. That's a, that's a big one. Thank you for sharing that. Completely changed my life, man. And I got it for everyone in my family, completely changed their lives too. And it just makes sense. If you should start there because- you should know right from the start what's good with like almonds. You mentioned almonds. We, we love almonds. Maybe almonds is not good for me, but this test will tell you. For sure. And, and then the reason why I talk a lot about this, Roger, when it comes to mental health is this. So I'm in the self-improvement industry, right? The self-help industry. And, um, and there's like a lot of great people who talk a lot of, they say a lot of great things on like, um, like positive thinking, your belief system, the quality of your thoughts, the books that you read and all, and all that stuff is super important and that's great. But I view that as just the software, right? So it's like, a, so it's like, if I have an iPhone, everything I just said, that's like, that's what I'm seeing. That's iOS. That's the iOS 13. But it's like, if I have a super outdated, like iPhone two or an iPhone three GS, and I'm trying to install the world's best software Man, I could be trying to brute force that. I might get small incremental changes. But the reason why I talk about it is like, if you start to work on your biochemistry with something that impacts our emotions and mood so much, like food, the next time where let's say you are in a place where you do have to um, step into fear and you do have to expose yourself to fear or you're trying to do something hard, difficult, which is anything that requires change, it's going to be a lot easier if your hardware and software are running on the same levels. And so like when I was writing this book for mental health and there's a lot of great brilliant people, someone, for example, um, there's this guy, uh, Dr. Daniel Amen. He wrote this book called the end of mental illness. This is a, a brilliant book. But anyway, um, when I was doing my research for like other books that kind of exist in this genre, there are a lot of people just approaching it from the software side. And for sure, like we need experts in the software. I'm, I'm no expert in, in software, really, I think anything. But uh, we need both of them to kind of work together because it's going to be way easier for you to overcome anxiety. It's going to be way easier for you to do these things if your biochemistry is working right. And so that's why I always start off with it. And then on the flip side of that, it's like, yeah, you could be eating a ton of vegetables, but for other areas, you could hate yourself, you know, and you could lack a lot of that software too. And so there's always both sides of it. But I think especially in today's world where we have the same brains that we have always had for thousands of years throughout evolution, but yet our environment has changed, especially with the food and how we're seeing an insane increase of diseases and health conditions. And a lot of these mental health conditions just spring up and a lot of other diseases that weren't really quite common, like dementia, for example, begin to pop up. 
massive, massive contributor is the food. And yet schools in America, organizations very, very rarely taught this. And the people who are taught this are at like the highest, highest level. Like Google has been learning how to feed their employees vegetables in like the most unique ways in all of their offices for years. And they've mastered that. And so it's such an important topic for mental health in general too. No. And what I love about this is now you've armed me with a tool, you know, that I could continue to talk about. And that, again, this is how this whole thing works, you know, and you and I get on a lot of these calls, but this is definitely something really important to me that I'm passionate about. Cause I, to tell you the truth, I'm on that software side. I want, mm. I want mm. to embed myself with more hardware because mm. that's really, I, I'm, I'm catching you now. That's where you have to have that right first to be able to do all these other things. For sure. And, and, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm really grateful that, um, you know, ever since sort of, uh, my dark times, I haven't really faced any sort of, uh, severe, about of anxiety or or depression you know for sure i definitely have my moments i definitely have my problems i definitely have bad weeks for sure but i think a major part of like why i've seen just like an overall baseline is because like i focus so much on biochemistry and that's food is a massive part of it and then also like using that intelligent technology to refine it more and then also things like learning about um how to utilize the breath your breath is a biochemical tool. Uh, sleep, sleep is a massive one that a lot of people, especially especially entrepreneurs, neglect because they're trying to put as much time into their business as possible. And all these things have really given me a baseline of like, let's say my software that day is backfiring. It is acting a little bit funky. I've still got that hardware biochemical foundation and then vice versa. Let's say you know my biochemistry is, is messing up a little bit today because of that feedback loop, I've built great software. And so for sure, I think we've always got to be looking at it from both sides of the spectrum all the time because they are so connected. And I know for me, when I'm at my physical peak is also kind of where I feel like I'm at my mental peak and where I feel at my mental peak, it's also my physical peak too. And so I think they're very much connected. So I'm glad you, you said that and you were transparent. <laughs> 100%. Thank you. No, and uh, you and I have a mutual friend, David Meltzer. Mm. Um, David has a coach, a, a coach to help him with his sleep. You know, he is, mm. he's one of these yeah. guys. He's always on the road. He's going international. He's going cross country all the time. But one of the things and techniques he's been able to develop and talk to me about is the importance of sleep. So I'm really glad you brought that up. Um, and, and, and again, it's a huge part of all of this. And, but uh, can you, can you segue into your book, um, Screw Being Shy? Because I know that the, the timing for you, it's, it's coming out right now. Um, and we have to wait to see what's happening with, with, with this virus. But regardless, um, you know, I the love it. coming out. <laughs> Absolutely. It'll work. And, and, and I, I love the title. Can you talk about the process? What gave you the, you know, the idea to write this book, the title and, and what it's about? Yeah, so we talked about this before, but speaking of David Meltzer, he's, uh, he's uh, written a quote for my book, and it goes, uh, screw being shy will stop you from being your own worst enemy when it comes to relationships and help to clear your connection to the most important people in your life. And so honestly, man, like the reason why I wrote this book, it's not to grow my brand. It's not to make money. I'm releasing the audiobook version of this book completely for free. Um, this book is a super short, easy to read backed by science and, and, and story and other people's stories and people who are way smarter than me. But the reason why I made this book was because in September, I had like this massive realization of, I was looking into the science. I was looking in, into the statistics and the data of social anxiety. And you look at it and it's like, Social anxiety is the most common form of anxiety in America. It affects anywhere from 10 to 20% of Americans at a serious level. And then also it affects 40 to 50% of kids. And on top of this, social anxiety is actually extremely correlated to substance abuse problems and social isolation. 
both of which, substance abuse and social isolation, are tightly correlated to suicide. And so 850,000 people commit suicide every year. And on top of that, like when I look at what everything I'm doing now at my age and, 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 and the great things and whatnot, there's no way I'd be able to do that if I still had social anxiety. There's no way I would be able to communicate to other people, let alone myself, if I had that. And so for me, I just kind of had to write this book because again, like I don't see anybody in this industry that's either on like the self-improvement, like networking, how to build your confidence. And then also like the mental health community of like uh, behavioral experts and clinical psychologists. I haven't seen anybody that's been able to like marry both of these worlds of like the software plus the hardware plus a, a relatable person like me who's just a normal guy and doesn't have like any kind of, you know, crazy accolades or whatnot um, to write this book. And so I was looking at this study done by uh, Cornell University and they took people who had social anxiety and they actually realized that many of these people, the reason why they have substance use disorders and social isolation issues is because they don't know how to perform well in social situations because every time they do so, their nervous system sends them a emergency response that triggers a fight or flight. And so again, to back up here, like uh, there's a lot of misconceptions around what social anxiety even is. A lot of people um, relate being shy to like being an introvert, which is two totally separate things. Uh, an introvert is defined as someone who is predominantly focused and just the way that their brain works, they're more focused on the internal world, their thoughts, ideas, emotions, um, themes, and then they get their energy from that. Whereas extroverts, their brain is built in the opposite. They're always focusing on maybe the colors, the fidelity, the external environment. And so no part of you being an introvert actually means that you're nervous to talk to people. However, it's definitely okay and it's definitely natural to be shy every once in a while, right? Everyone kind of has those experiences. However, there are some people who are shy and they get nervous in every single situation. Every single time they have to speak to other people, their brain freaks out. And what happens is kind of going back to like the mind and body, if someone is engaged in this kind of behavior for a long period of time, and they get shy, you know, they feel like their armpits or the, their palms of their hands start sweating, their throat tightens up, it clenches up, they start, like their forehead starts flashing, like hot temperatures, um, their mind races, they're overthinking. If that happens for someone for a long time, then they can develop social anxiety, which is essentially whenever they walk into a room, even the craziest part about this is, even if their conscious brain, if their mind is not socially anxious, they've built up that feedback loop between their body and their body will get anxious and it'll send their brain signals and it's, it'll literally put them in this trap where they don't know how to get out of. And like, there's this quote in my book and it says, the, the mind is the worst prison to be locked into because you don't know where the jail cell ends and starts. And so I didn't even read when I was going through this and I was, I had no friends as a result of it. I had no deep relationships. I didn't play. Uh, I wasn't a part of any kind of groups because my brain was messing with me this whole time. I didn't realize that until I was 18 until 10 years later had passed by. And I just kind of like woke up and I'm like, wow, this is actually like a legitimate scientific thing that can sort of be healed. And so I see so many people out there, whether it's, like I, I'm speaking at an event or I'm on a podcast or someone messages or emails me and they hear a part of my story and they say, Hey Mark, I'm a, I'm like a quiet introvert. I'm like 25. I, I don't know how to talk to people. And so that was like the biggest piece of feedback that people kept on coming up to me. And then now whenever I go speak at like schools, like I speak at the New York schools all the time, um, I see kids that were once like me. And I also, when I go to like speak at Fortune 500 companies, I also see adults who are also once like me. And so I was just kind of taking a look at this problem of like, 
man. So not only is social anxiety linked to a lot of other serious problems like substance abuse and suicide, it can also literally stop someone from being themselves and reaching that potential. And so I hope this book, I can give it to people and I can ignite people. I can unlock people's potential if they want to help themselves and actually get on this because I'm someone who's done it. I've talked to countless people who have really struggled with social anxiety. And now they're like some of the most top speakers out there in the world. And so there is a real legitimate way to go about this if it's done properly through science, through a proper vehicle of understanding, like, like stories, uh, practicality. Like at the end of every one of my chapters, there are exercises for people to take action on and, and do. Because the worst case scenario in writing my book if someone picks it up and reads it like some kind of a novel, like someone just reads it like, oh, it's so good. No, I want people to stop and actually do the things that I mentioned in the book because it could actually change their lives if they face social anxiety, if they don't know how to be themselves in front of other people, or if someone is just generally looking to kind of upgrade their mental health too. So that's why. Wow, man. <laughs> and I can't wait to get that. Look, I have to be honest with you. I didn't expect this today. And I think it's a good thing, right? Because I, I, I didn't know we would go this deep. Um, but really, this is, this is all very, very important stuff. And I could see how passionate you are. So uh, very noble to make that audio book for free. That's, that's awesome. We'll put a link in there as well. Um, I want to get the hard copy so I could have it here on my desk and be able to refer yeah. to it. So I will, or is that out yet? It comes out this Saturday, March 14th. This Saturday. Okay, so yeah. I will order that. A couple that. days. Great. <laughs> so by the time this episode is out, it, it will be out. And wow, what it, you know, I just like the fact of how you, why you did this. You know, not, you're not doing this for money. You're not doing this for anything other than you want to help people and, and educate people and get the word out there. And, and I want to do whatever I can to help you do that. Thank you, man. And it's just like, you know, I think it's very hard to describe like the, the pain that someone can be in unless you've been there before. And so I know there's a lot of other problems that people face, but I just kind of view this as this is a problem where I was just sort of dealt the cards with it in my life, but I was lucky enough to get out of it. Whereas I could have easily become a statistic. And so I feel like I'm just kind of sitting here in the seat. I'm just extremely lucky to quite frankly, just be alive and to get past this problem in my life. That's enabled me to, exponentially grow in like my business and other areas of my success. And it was really like to go back to what David Meltzer said in this book, it's like, it will stop you from being your own worst enemy. And so that's the biggest thing. That's the, that's the biggest thing I'm, I'm, I'm focused with because whether it's, whether it's Corona or whether it's some other thing happens, which I'm sure it will, because that's just the world. Um, I always view kind of the internal problems as the most important problems because you could try to like run away from all these problems. You could shut off the news. You could, you could, you could do whatnot, but you, you can't run away from your brain, you know? And so that's the one area where you really can't run away from unless, unless it's like you're trying, to, you're trying to smoke something, you're trying to drink something to escape that for a temporary period of time. That's just going to come back and has other health effects that are dangerous. And so, yeah, man, thank you. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me on. Uh, I hope people definitely check out the book if it's of interest. And um, dude, Roger, you're the, me you're the man. That was awesome. <laughs> Likewise. No, and one more thing, if you don't mind, I, I know we have yeah. a few more minutes here. Um, so, say, so say people are getting this foundation in, in place. They're starting to feel better. They're doing the right things. They're eating right, sleeping right. Just it, it takes time, right? This doesn't yeah. happen overnight. You went through all this, but can you spend a little bit of time talking about the transformation? Because I know that's something you you really like to talk about and you're good at. Yeah, for sure. So, so when I was kind of at my rock bottom and I was suicidal, um, the biggest thing that I got out of that was that I didn't even know I was at rock bottom at that time. There's that quote that says, "You can't see the picture." when you're in the frame. And so when I was at my rock bottom, I was suicidal when I was over 200 pounds, I had no idea. And so one of the first things that kind of began to, to shift my mind was, um, I remember I listened to a podcast from Tim Ferriss and he talked about the fact where when he was in college, he was also suicidal. 
And that was like literally the first podcast episode I ever listened to in my entire life. I randomly clicked on it. And so as I was um, walking around the city of Boston uh, in a not so nice area at like 2 a.m., trying to hope for somebody to walk up to me and kill me. And I was listening to the, to that podcast episode. I was like, Whoa, like I am in the same exact position that this guy, Tim Ferriss is telling me that he used to be in. And then now this guy's like changing industries at the top of the top. And so that gave me a little bit of hope. And there, there were also some other things, but I remember specifically, like when I was going through this, I didn't know anything about the software or the hardware. I had no idea what mindset was. I had no idea what mental health was. And so I remember the first sort of moment that I kind of realized there was a problem was when I came home one of those nights and I looked at myself in front of the mirror. And I don't know if this was, whether it was due to like sleep deprivation or, or desperation or whatever, but I remember just looking at myself in the mirror and being like, wait, like what, what happened to me? Because I had gained a lot of weight in a short period of time. And I remember at that moment, I, I kind of just felt the fact of what I was actually in. And I realized I was like, wait, why are, why are my pants super tight? And I was just in this trance for like three to six months of whether it was me binge eating, like randomly partying, binging on Netflix, doing whatever to try to escape myself. And really my first sort of, uh, my first step was trying to lose weight because at that time it's like, it's much easier to see a physical problem than it is to see a mental or internal problem. And so for me, like, that's like the story that I just told you of like the gut microbiome and serotonin, like I accidentally, um, went on that because I didn't know I had mental health problems. I just thought I was fat. And so when I began to like change my nutrition, I remember I kind of began to eat like a, um, like a ketogenic diet, which is a diet that is very high in fat and it, and it, and, um, and it advocates for like your brain health because a lot of our brain is made of fat. And I remember when I started to, to eat a lot of these healthy foods and I started to not eat so much of the unhealthy foods, I remember I kind of felt my brain turn on for the first time in my life. And this was before I started to read books or, or any of this stuff. And when that happened, you gain more energy. And so when you gain more energy, you, the, the best thing about gaining more energy is that you see who you could become. You gain access to different various aspects of your behavior that you would not normally do, right? So like if you're eating a terrible diet, you're not sleeping and it's like 2 p.m., and you crash or something like that, you could be a totally different person. Let's say you, you know, you crash and you're super tired, you have a headache and someone comes into your office and you lash out at them. You're angry. And it's not even because of you're an angry person, but just because of that, your state of mind, because of your physiology puts you in an environment where it's much easier to kind of lash out. And so as I was gaining energy, that's really where I was like, huh, I'm going to start walking outside. <laughs> and then I would start walking outside and I'm like, Hey, let me start running. And I had never exercised in my life. And then I'm like, wow, I'm pretty tired from running, but I had this energy, you know, and then I began to sleep well for the first time in my life, seven to eight hours. And then I began to, you know, read books because I had never read a book up until that point in my life ever. And I was like, Oh man, I've read six books. All these books talk about meditation and they talk about writing your thoughts down and journaling. Let me try those habits. And you just get on like this continuum of just adding, adding, adding. And then next thing you know, six, six, 12 months later, you're like, wow, I'm a different person. Not as in I've changed, but I have sort of removed the, the BS, the layers that I've put up on my life. And I'm just like back to being the person who I always used to be and now I'm actually pursuing my full potential, man. So that's the way I, I, I talk about it. <laughs> again, just great. I mean, I'm, I'm glad you walked us through that. Uh, I was, again, I just have to be honest. Like when, when, I, when I think about transformation, I'm thinking, okay, you get to a certain point and then you take this leap. It's, it's a very gradual progression, right? It's, it's step by step by step by step. And then only later, you look back in hindsight and you're like, 
oh my God, I transformed. And then five years later, people are asking you like, oh, how'd you do it? And all this stuff. And then, and then it's like, once you get out of it, then you, then it's your job to throw a rope down and to get other people out of there who are literally just like you, who used to be in the same position that you are. And so I feel like a big part of what I'm doing is just like, it's for the 12 year old version of me of like, I wish I had a book like this. I wish I had some sort of a source to hand off and to unlock people. Awesome. Just awesome. And I have a lot of people in mind. I want to share this book with younger people as well. Mm. Mark, um, look, this has been phenomenal. I, I so appreciate your time. This is going to be the first of many conversations we have. I, I could already tell, uh, 100%. but it's, it's great to meet you. It's great to have you on. How could people reach you if they, what's the best way to reach out if, if they're interested in your services or, or what you do? Yeah, definitely. So best place to find out everything I'm doing is just my website, which is just my first and last name.com. M-A-R-K-M-E-T-R-Y.com. You can contact me, check out the book, podcast, anything I've got going on. Roger, you're the man. Thank you so much for having me on American Real. And thank you to everyone out there for listening, for listening to this podcast and making it to the end. That requires a lot. Yes, sir. Awesome, Mark. Welcome to the American Real family. Thank you so much. And we'll be rooting for you and getting this book. Thank you so much, Roger. Appreciate you, man. You too. Thanks for tuning into American Real. Be sure to visit our website, AmericanReal.tv, or search for us on iTunes or YouTube for past episodes. While you're there, please rate us or leave us a review, as that helps others find our show. I am truly grateful and appreciate all of your support. If you'd like to be part of our inner circle or want one-on-one -on -one coaching, check out the American Real Learning Academy, where we have self-help groups and courses so you can build the best you. We also have a new Facebook group where you can connect with high achievers from around the world. If you want to go even further, maybe you're determined to write your own book or launch your own podcast, contact me today to see if we could help. You can reach me through Instagram or Facebook or email me directly at roger at americanreal.tv. Thanks for tuning in and we'll see you next week.